Uh, my name is Trent. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I get the privilege of talking to you about Advent today. Uh, we just heard the story, the Christmas story from the kids. They've done a great job. And we, we have switched in the last couple of years from a program where we spend the whole, you know, couple of weeks and then we have a Christmas evening and it's almost like a kid concert to children leading us in worship because the innocence and the desire and the heart they have for God. You just heard Lucas pray. I mean, he knows Jesus. Uh, so instead of it being a spectacle, we're having them lead us in worship. And I just, I, I got to applaud the children's ministry department to, to thank you for that. It's just something beautiful of it. Um, now, you're gonna have a you're gonna have a message this morning. Uh, another another one. Uh, it won't be too long, but there's gonna be three significant scripture passages, and I want to give you. And the kids are gonna read those for us. But I want to give you a little background on them before you hear from them, and then I will invite them up. Uh, and are they using this mic? Okay. Uh, so we're in. We're in Advent, and Advent is the time, it's a strange time really, in, in, especially in the Western church in the United States, because we're pretending, and not really, but we're pretending um, that Jesus hasn't come even though we all know that he has. And so we anticipate the coming of the Christ child, but we also know he's already been here. So his kingdom has come, but it's not yet fulfilled. And we're trying to remember what it was like for people. Jesus didn't come to the, to the world at a time that everything was peaceful and beautiful and wonderful. And so he came and said, hey, this peace you're enjoying comes from me. He came in because the world was in a desperate place. It says for such a time as this, when, when one group of people ruled over another, when people were treated poorly, when some people were enslaved, it was awful. And when he came, he came to show that God wants to turn the kingdom of man upside down. Actually, he wants to turn it right side up because the kingdom of humanity, we, we live in an upside down, broken and cracked reality. And he wants to turn it right side up and, and make it good and right, noble, praiseworthy and excellent. So um, in Advent, we have these themes and the theme today is joy, but the opposite of joy, the other side of joy is if we don't have joy in our lives, our lives are meaningless. There is nothingness. In fact, every, every philosophy of humanity, if we pursue it, not other than pursuing Christ and Christ pursuing us, any, any pursuit of anything leads to one philosophy of life, and that's nihilism. That anything other than purpose that comes from Christ leads to meaninglessness. That's what the kids are going to be reading. In, uh, we're going to be reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 1, where Solomon, the king who God anointed as king and made him king, and he said, Solomon, what do you want? And Solomon asked for wisdom. And this first passage will be Solomon has pursued wisdom with, with, with vigor. I mean, he, the man had more riches. If you take all the riches that all of us will ever have or all of our descendants will ever have, all combined, Solomon had more. He had more uh, wisdom. He he had more knowledge, he had more gold, he had more pleasures, he had more palaces, he had more property than any of us or all of us combined will ever have. And he, he pursues wisdom, and then you'll hear at the end of that passage what it comes to. Then he pursues pleasures. He, he denied himself nothing. You'll see what it comes to. And then you get to the end of the book, that'll be the third passage read, and you'll hear what he says at the end of all things what matters. So I want to invite um, Sarah and Peyton and Emma 
Gabe, Brooklyn, and Trayton uh, to come up and read. And we're going to be reading from Ecclesiastes 1, 12 through 14, then 15 through 16, then 17 and 18. And then uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, 10 and 11. And then the last verse will be, and this will be Trayton, uh, he will read from 12, 13, and 14. Hey, before you start, thank you for doing this. This is really cool. And to hear when, when you, just so you know, when you read God's word, when you, whatever he has to say, when you say it, this is what he promises. My word will go out from my mouth and will not return void. It will accomplish what I sent it to do. So when you read these scriptures, God is speaking to these people out here. He's also speaking to you. And whatever he wants to do, he's going to do because you're willing to proclaim what he had to say. That's pretty cool. No pressure. All right, go for it. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much, much wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. And now to this pursuit of pleasure. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my works, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. And now Solomon, near the end of his life, this is the conclusion he came to. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of matter. Fear God keeps his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including hidden things, whether it's good or evil. You guys stay right there. I'm going to pray for you, and then we'll send you back to where, where are they headed? Down? Okay, let me pray for all of you guys. I'm going to put my hands up above you. Folks, if you'd put your hands up here, this was gutsy for them. Um, Lord, we ask that you bless these children and the children that were up here on stage earlier, that you keep them, that you make your face shine on them, that you be gracious to them, that you smile upon them because they're smiling when they're talking about you and give them peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much. Where's the mic? I'll take it from you. You can give them a hand. Great job. They don't ever clap for me when I read the scriptures. Now, the, the approach that I took this in, in the other services is going to be different than the approach I took here, mainly because of what I'm sitting here uh, experiencing while these children are leading us in worship. And I, I want to give you just a couple of quotes because it's a, it, there's a lot of time to build to the idea that of, of this meaninglessness that he talks about, this chasing after wind. There's a reason he, he picks chasing after the wind, that all this is just chasing after the wind. Um, can you catch the wind? Sailors are going to go, of course. 
Um, and you can't, no, you harness it, but you can't control it. You can't, it'll get past you. You can't control a high pressure or a low pressure. And, and, and you, we can turn on fans, we can make a breeze, but we cannot capture the wind. What Solomon is saying is that, that no matter what I do, no matter how I strive, no matter what I allow myself, no matter what I pursue, in the end, it comes down to nothingness. But then he ends and he says that it, it really ends, it comes down to this. Fear God and obey his commands. Now, fear there isn't this idea of terror. It's the idea of honor, which comes from the word awe. So to be in awe of God and to obey what he has to tell us. Um, that, it sounds familiar. Jesus says in John 14, 15, when he's talking to the, or excuse me, when he's talking to the people, he says, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. What does he command? Love the Lord your God with everything that you have and love other people as you love yourself. Now, there are some other things. Those, that's the summary of, of his commands. There's some other things like forgive when people wrong you. There are times when he says, don't, don't return evil with evil, but evil with kindness. He says that, that if someone treats you wrongly, if someone slaps you upside the head, turn the other cheek. He says that no matter how many times someone sins against you, I want you to forgive them. And why though? Why does he ask us to do it? Because the, the opposite idea, doing what God doesn't want us to do, leads to nihilism, leads to meaninglessness. And let me just, I just it's not my thinking, it's someone else's. But um, Blaise Pascal, have you ever heard of this famous mathematician and theologian? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with this. I'm going to read one other quote. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change what, how I was going to do it, and then we'll finish up. It won't be long. All men seek happiness. There are no exceptions, yet all men complain. Now, if we seek happiness, and, but we never really have it, because we always find, I, I complain over silly stuff. The other day, driving down, I don't know what, I don't remember what road it was, but I was driving behind someone that evidently, I know that if you speed 45 miles an hour, and I know that, you know, cops, if, if nine, you're fine, 10, you're mine, I got it. But not that I would ever break a traffic law, but I, I got behind someone the other day that, and I was kind of in a rush, but I got, actually I didn't need to be anywhere, but you know, that 30 seconds it might save me is going to be important. Um, I got behind someone that, that thought, okay, I don't want a ticket for going over the speed limit. The speed limit is 45, so I'm going to go 42 and a half because they'll probably give me a medal. And so I'm, I'm like, my, I'm grinding my teeth over someone going 42 and a half miles an hour why? It doesn't matter, but all people seek happiness, yet all men complain. And we are an American people, and we, our country was founded. And look, folks, before anyone thinks, okay, he's making a political statement, that's not what I'm doing. I am true-blooded American. I mean, I was in the airport the other day coming back from Tampa. I'd gone down there to see my dad and my brothers, and there was something on the news that, and there was a Star Spangled Banner was being sung and a woman stands up in the airport and puts her hand over her heart and she starts to sing along. And I did it too. And I was like, <laughs> you know, there's Marines down on the football field. And I'm like, oh, I love our country. And I'm as patriotic as they come. But there's a piece of the founding of our country that, that, that pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Folks, scripture tells us that pursuing Happiness will always leave you void. But God's got an answer to that. But if you think about it, no matter what we do, no matter how hard we strive, happiness 
is always dependent upon our circumstances. There any kid in the room that's got a test this week? Any student who's got a test? Okay, all right, all right, all right. Thursday? When's your test? Wednesday or Thursday? Okay, got it. Um, Monday? Oh, I'm, you're not a you're not a student. Well, yeah, I guess you are. You're a seminary student. Okay, we'll go with we'll, we'll go with Patrick because he's holy. Okay, no offense. So he's got a test tomorrow. So t this afternoon he's going to study, and I know you study because you do really well in school. But he's going to study, 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 and then tonight when he's supposed to go to bed and and he's got his, this stuff going on in his head, he's going to say something like this to God. He's holy, so he'll probably say, "Lord, allow me." to remember all that I need to remember so that I do the best I can on the test. Now, people that aren't as holy will say, Lord, get me an A, <laughs> right? So now, if you take the test tomorrow and you do well, and then you check online a couple of days later to see how you did, if, now, sometimes we take that test and we get done and we go, uh, yeah, it would, uh, uh, if I pass, it'll be a miracle. Other times you go, ah, it all depends on how the professor reads my answers, you know. But if you, if you pray for it and you, and, and you get what you wanted, you're happy. But if you fail it, are you going to be happy? So you pursue happiness, but happiness is dependent upon what the outcome is. The difference between happiness that is our pursuit as Americans and joy is that happiness is something that's dependent on circumstances, but joy is constant. See, we're told that, that, that contentment is not the actualization of what I want, but the realization of what I have. It's not getting what I want, it's recognizing what I have. I'll go a step further and say that contentment is not the actualization of what I want or the realization of what I have, but it's the understanding of whose I am that I don't belong to myself, but body and soul and life and the death of my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, here, here's what this Blaise Pascal says. All men seek happiness. There are no exceptions, yet all men complain. A test which has gone on so long without pause or change really ought to convince us that we are incapable of attaining the good by our own efforts. This infinite abyss can only be filled with an infinite object. And what Blaise Pascal is talking about is that infinite object is God. I'm going to give you one more, and that is this, that Henry David Thoreau, the author of On Walden Pond, now it's not often that I, I, I will quote a humanist, but he says, most men live lives in quiet desperation. And I'm going to tell you that I think that most of you and me share some common friends. One, desperation. Sometime in your life you've experienced a sense of I don't know what to do. Life is out of control. I can't, nothing's gonna work. And another one is depression. Depression has been a, a, a companion of mine, um, one that I flirted with, one that I've embraced, one that's moved into my house, one that I've kicked out of my house time, and more of a frenemy, because no one wants to be in that dark, dark night of the soul. And then anxiety. If you've ever woken up in the middle of the night at 2.30 in the morning and had a resting heart rate of 126 and you're in a panic attack and you can't, your respiration is up and you can't stop and there's no reason for it except for the fact that you know that you have no control over the circumstances around you and you're at the whim and will and what's going to happen to you is at the whim and will of other people. Solomon had everything and yet nothing. Solomon did everything and yet had nothing for it. 
And in the end, he says, one thing remains, God. So I don't believe that any of you think theologically that if I just do more, I'll be happier. Because you know, why did Jesus come? Kids just told us, why did they come? To save us from our sin, right? And that, I love that. Lust, greed, anger, mischief, um, murder. He, the, the sin in the world is great. But there's some sins in the world that we don't really acknowledge. And part of it, one of it, one of them is, is self-idolatry. Now, I'm not saying that, that you bow down and worship yourself, but, but there's this sense in our lives that if I do enough, God will love me. If I do enough, if I strive enough, God will make my life easier. But Scripture doesn't tell us that that's true. In fact, it tells us that it's not. Scripture says, the, the, the beginning of the gospel story, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to humanity on whom God's favor rests. We're also told that God loves us from everlasting to everlasting. Now, think about that for a minute. From before you were born, from before anyone was born, from before the world was born, God loved you. That's from everlasting to everlasting. He will love you from now forever. So what can you do to get God to love you? Nothing. He already does. And here's the change in how I approached this earlier this morning and today. Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, when you saw all these kids up here, and aren't there a million of them? When you saw them all up here, what could they do to make you love them? What could they do to make you stop? If they didn't perform well, are you going to punish them? If they come to you and they're mean to their brother and sister later today, do you stop loving them? No. Why? You love them because they're them. You love them because they're yours. You love them because God gave you a heart for them. And I want you to know that the heart you have for your child, your niece, your nephew, your grandchild, your great-grandchild, that heart you have, take that and just blow it up. And that's God's heart for you. There is nothing you can do that makes God stop loving you. Nothing. There is no way you can convince God that you're not lovable. So stop trying so hard. And stop trying to tell God that if I do this and 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 I do this, then he has to love you or he has to make your life easier. That's not how it works. You are God's idea. You, from before time, God decided, God decided that he's going to write a symphony that is you. We're told in the scriptures that we are God's workmanship, his masterpiece, his poema, his, his opus, his, 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 his symphony. That's what the word means. And so the day you were born, the first notes were scribed, were the first notation for that symphony that's going to be. And folks, your life is going to be amazing in the end. But in the middle of it, there are times that seem meaningless. If you know classical music, you know what a fugue is, that these, these warring melodies coming back and forth. And then if you're a fan of contemporary classical music, you know who Nellie Bell is and this, this dissonance that, that the things that aren't harmonious, but they actually go and it, it sounds awful. But there's something to dissonance. There's something to 
the fugue, there's something too when, when it sounds dark and there's a lot of minor chords, but in the end, there's gonna be this fanfare, this, this explosion and fireworks when God celebrates all that he's done and all that he's made you, the symphony that is your life. That is what joy is, knowing that God is writing a symphony that is your life, that you are his idea, that you can't do anything to stop. He, he made you the way you are and he loves you the way you are. So you don't need to do anything. You don't need to strive anymore. You don't need to make life more wretched by trying to prove to God that you're lovable. Your kids don't have to prove to you that, that they're lovable. So you don't have to prove to God that you're lovable. The difference, the, the, the difference between joy and happiness is happiness is dependent upon circumstances. But joy, Christ is our joy. He, he, he says in John uh, in John 14, 15, nope, John 17, 3, sorry. He says, and he's talking to the Father, he says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God. And that know there isn't know about, it's know like a husband knows a wife, knowing one another in a biblical sense. It's that kind of intimacy, it's that kind of romance, it's that kind of, it, to, be, to be known by God and to know God that way, brings joy. It means that even in the fugue, even in the dissonance, even in the pain, even in the struggle, even with a horrible diagnosis, you can still say and believe and trust and say, I am going to rejoice in my trials, not for them, but in them. That is something that can stabilize and war against and kick out depression, kick out desperation and kick out anxiety. So anything other than that, according to scripture, is nihilism, it is meaninglessness, it is pointlessness. Because any striving that isn't for, to, and from God goes nowhere. So if right now you're in the middle of, it's pointless. I'm gonna read you one more quote. This, this guy, I don't know if you know, if you've ever heard of him, but Ralph Barton was a top cartoonist in our country. This is what he said. He left a note and pinned it to his pillow before taking his own life. This is what he said. I have had few difficulties, many friends, great successes. I have gone from wife to wife. That's not a good thing. I've gone from wife to wife, from house to house, and I've visited the great countries of this world. But I am fed up with inventing devices to fill up 24 hours in a day. All his efforts, all his stuff, he came to the same conclusion Solomon did. It's pointless. And you know what? He's right. It's pointless if we don't see the point, if we don't know the point, if we don't recognize that it has nothing to do with who we are because we're already beloved. It has to do with whose we are. Christ and Christ alone. Christ is our hope. Christ is our joy. Christ is our wisdom. Christ is the word. He's the word made flesh. And he came to rescue us, not just from our sin, but from ourselves. Will you be a person who says, yes, Lord, I no longer want to live a life of meaninglessness, but I want to live a life where joy pervades. It's your, the beauty of God and his love for you is he will not force himself upon you. He will allow you to be as miserable as you choose to be. But that is not his desire. It is not his plan. It is not his hope for you. His hope for you is that you will say, yes, my Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And when it's not yours, but his, joy can be a stabilizing factor that will give you hope for the future.
Let's pray, and the kids are about to come back in. Almighty God, we bless you and praise you for who you are. And I'm going to use the, the Hebrew blessing that every, every prayer, every celebration, everything that the Jewish people did in the Old Testament as they were looking toward Advent, looking for the Messiah coming, they always started with Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu. Bless you, Lord our God. Lord, we bless you for who you are, for what you do, and for whose we are, that you chose us well before we chose you. Give us hope and help us overcome the meaninglessness of this life. In Jesus' name we pray, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen.